0: Hi, I'm Eric, and this is Listen to Sleep. Quiet bedtime stories to help you fall asleep. Autumn continues to be just beautiful here on the mountain. It was a partly sunny, partly cloudy week. So we kind of had all the weather except snow. Although... That could come any day up top. When we get snow around here, it doesn't usually come as far down as we are. But it will snow up at the ridge, which we have to pass over to get here. So sometimes we can get snowed in down here at the cabin, and it'll just be raining. But there'd be no way to get up over the hill to get out. One day this week, I took a walk before my coffee to try and shake up my morning routine a little. Do you ever do that? I've been trying to challenge some of the assumptions I make about what I need to do and when I need to do it, just to kind of build some new habits, I guess. So Bodie and I walked up the driveway and watched the sun come up, which was just beautiful. There was a lot of fog in the river valley to our east, and we got there just before the sun hit it. It reminded me of things I take for granted here, like getting out to actually watch the sun come up, or walking up to the top of the hill and sitting in our Adirondack chairs to watch the sun set. Those things are important, and I was really glad I did it. I took some pictures and made a short video that I put up on my TikTok. You can see it there, or you can go to the blog and read a little bit about my thoughts on gratitude and mixing up our habits. That's at listen listentosleep.com, or there's a link in the show notes. I want to thank the people who joined the Patreon this week to help support the podcast. Thank you, Heidi. Benjamin. Rachel, Rose, Elizabeth, Christina, Sarah, carrie Ann, B, Chelsea, and Tana, or Tana. I'm sorry if I got your name wrong. Thank you so much to all of you and the other 270-something people who are supporting the podcast through the Patreon you're helping me get to my goal of a thousand supporters so that I can make Listen to Sleep my full-time occupation. Now, when you support the podcast through the Patreon, you also get some perks. For less than a dollar a month, you'll get the podcast a day earlier, on Saturdays instead of Sundays, and without any ads or introductions which is really great if you want to listen to a story more than once. And if you'd like an extra story every week, you can join Listen to Sleep Plus on the Patreon. You can get to the Patreon through the link in the show notes or get more information at listentosleep.com. It's Thanksgiving this week here in the United States, and I try to use that as an opportunity to reflect on what I'm grateful for. This week, I found a beautiful story from 1907 about gratitude and sharing. When I found it and read it for the first time last week, I got a little teary. I hope you like it as much as I do. Let's take a deep breath. In. And out. Letting go of the day, letting yourself sink deep down into the mattress, feeling the weight of gravity pulling you down. Take another deep breath in and out. Nothing to do, nowhere to go. This is your time. Quiet time. One more deep breath in with me. And out. If you start to fall asleep while you're listening, that's okay. Just let yourself drift off. Tom's Thanksgiving. It was very provoking that the seamstresses and such people would get married, like the rest of the world, Mrs. Greenow said. Half in fun and half in earnest. Her fall sewing was just coming on, and here was Lizzie Brown, who had suited her so nicely, going off to be married, and she had no resource but to advertise and take whomever she could get. No less than ten women had been there that day, and not one would answer. There comes number eleven, you will see, she cried as the bell rang. Kitty Greenow looked on with interest. Indeed, it was her gowns, rather than her mother's, that were the most pressing. She was just 16, and since last winter, she had shot up suddenly, as girls at that age so often do, and left all her clothes behind her. Mrs. Greenow was right. It was another seamstress, and Bridget showed in a plain, sad-looking woman of about forty, with an air of intense respectability. Mrs. Greenow explained what she wanted done, and the woman said quietly that she was accustomed to such work. Would Mrs. Greenow be so kind as to look at some recommendations? whereupon she handed out several ladylike-looking notes, whose writers endorsed the bearer, Mrs. Margaret Graham, as faithful and capable, used to trimmings of all sorts, and quick to catch an idea. Very well indeed, Mrs. Greenow said, as she finished reading them. I could ask nothing better. Can you be ready to come at once? Tomorrow, if you wish, madam, was the answer. And then Mrs. Graham went away. Kitty Greenow was an impulsive, imaginative girl. No subject was too dull or too unpromising for her fancy to touch it she made a story for herself about every new person who came in her way. After number 11 had gone down the stairs, Kitty laughed. Isn't she a sober-sides Mamma? I don't believe there'll be any frisk in my dresses at all if she trims them. They'll be frisk enough in them if you wear them, her mother answered smiling at the bright, saucy, winsome face of her one tall daughter. Kitty was ready to turn the conversation. What do you think she is, Mama, wife or widow? And then, answering her own question, I think she's married and he's sick And she has to take care of him. That solemn, still way she has comes of much staying in a sick room. She's in the habit of keeping quiet, don't you see? I wish she were a little prettier. I think he would get well quicker. There'd be no plain, quiet people in your world if you made one, her mother said, smiling. You'd make a mistake to leave them out. You would get tired even of the sun if it shone all the time. The next day, the new seamstress came, and a thoroughly good one she proved. Better than Lizzie, Mrs. Greenow said, and this was high praise. She sewed steadily and never opened her lips except to ask some question about her work. Even Kitty, who used to boast that she could make a dumb man talk, had not audacity enough to intrude on the reserve in which Mrs. Graham entrenched herself. He's worse in the morning, whispered saucy Kitty to her mother and she can do nothing but think about him and mind her gathers. But, by the same token, he must have been worse every day, for during the two weeks she sewed there, Mrs. Graham never spoke of anything beyond her work. When Mrs. Greenow had paid her the last night, she said, Please give me your address, Mrs. Graham, for I may want to find you again. Seventeen Hudson Street, ma'am, up two flights of stairs, and if I'm not there, Tom always is. There, didn't I tell you, Kitty cried exultingly after the woman had gone. Didn't I tell you? that he was sick. You see now, Tom's always there. Yes, but Tom may not be her husband, and I don't think he is. He is much more likely to be her child. Mrs. Greenow, I'm astonished at you. You say that to be contradictious. Now, it is not nice to be contradictious. Besides, she wouldn't look so quiet and sad if Tom were her only boy. But weeks passed on, and nothing more was heard of Mrs. Graham, until, at last, Thanksgiving Day was near at hand. Kitty was to have a new dress, and Mrs. Greenow, who had undertaken to finish it, found that she had not time. Oh, let me go for Mrs. Graham, Mama, cried Kitty eagerly. Luke can drive me down to Hudson Street, and then I shall see Tom. Mrs. Greenow laughed and consented. In a few minutes, Luke had brought to the door the one-horse coop which had been the last year's Christmas gift of Mr. Greenow to his wife, and in which Miss Kitty was always glad to make an excuse for going out. Arrived at 17 Hudson Street, she tripped up two flights of stairs and tapped on the door, on which was a printed card with the name of Mrs. Graham. A voice with a wonderful quality of musical sweetness in it answered. Please come in, I cannot open the door. If that were a he, he had a very singular voice for a man. I guess Mama was right after all, thought Willful Kitty. It's rather curious how often Mama is right, when I come to think of it. She opened the door and saw, not Mrs. Graham's husband, nor yet her son, but a girl, whose face looked as if she might be about Kitty's own age, whose shoulders and waist told the same story. But whose lower limbs seemed curiously misshapen and shrunken. No larger, in fact, than those of a mere child. The face was a pretty winning face, not at all sad. Short, thick brown hair curled round it, and big brown eyes, full of good humor, met Kitty's curious glance. I... Am Tom, the same musical voice, which made Kitty think of a bird's wobble, said, in a tone of explanation. I can't get up to open the door because, don't you see, I, I can't walk. And why, what, Tom? Kitty struggled desperately with the question she had begun to ask and Tom kindly helped her out. Why am I Tom, do you mean? When it's a boy's name, or why can't I walk? I'm Tom because my father called me Thomasina, after his mother, and we can't afford such long names in this house. And I can't walk, because I pulled a kettle of boiling water over on myself when I was six years old, and the only wonder is that I'm alive at all. I was left, you see, in a room by myself, while Mother was busy somewhere else, and when she heard me scream and came to me, she pulled me out from under the kettle and saved the upper half of me, all right. Oh, how dreadful, Kitty cried, with the quick tears rushing to her eyes. It must have almost killed your mother. Yes, that's what makes her so still and sober. She never laughs, but she never frets either. And oh, how good she is to me. Kitty glanced around the room which seemed to her so bare. It was spotlessly clean, and Tom's chair was soft and comfortable, as indeed a chair ought to be, which must be sat in from morning till night. Opposite to it were a few pictures on the wall, engravings taken from books and magazines, and given, probably, To Mrs. Graham by some of her lady customers. Within easy reach was a little stand, on which stood a rose bush in a pot and a basket full of bright colored worsteds, while a book or two lay beside them. And do you ever go out? cried Kitty, forgetting her errand in her sympathy, forgetting, too. That Luke and his impatient horse were waiting below. Not lately. Mother used to take me down into the street sometimes, but I've grown too heavy for her now, and she can't. But I'm not very dull, even when she's gone. You wouldn't guess how many things I see from my window, and then. I make worsted mats and tidies, and mother sells them, and then I I sing. Kitty stepped to the window to see what range of vision it offered, and her eye fell on Luke. She recalled her business. I came to see if I could get your mother to sew two or three days for me this week. Tom was alert and businesslike at once. Let me see, she said. Today is Tuesday. And she drew toward her a little book and looked it over. Tomorrow is engaged, but you could have Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, if you want so much. Please write your name against them. Kitty pulled off her pretty gray glove and wrote her name and address with the little toy pencil at the end of her chatelaine. And then she turned to go. But it was Tom's turn to question. Please, said the sweet, fresh voice, which seemed so like the clear carol of a bird. Would you mind telling me how old you are? I'm sixteen myself. And so am I, sixteen, said Kitty. And you have a father and mother both, haven't you? Yes, indeed, said Kitty. Oh, I've only mother, but she is good as two. Must you go now? And I wonder if I shall ever see you again. Yes, you will see me again, answered Kitty cheerily. And then, moved by a sudden impulse of her kind, frank, young heart, she bent over and touched her lips to the bright, bonny face of the poor girl who must sit prisoner there forever, and yet who kept this bright cheerfulness all the time. Oh, Mama, I've had a lesson, cried Kitty, bursting into her mother's room like a fresh wind. And Tom has taught it to me. And he isn't a he at all. She's a girl, just my age. And she can't walk, not a step, since she was six years old. And then Kitty told all the sad, tender little story, and got to crying over it herself, and made her mother cry too before she was through. After dinner, she sat half the evening in a brown study. Finally, she came out of it and began talking in her usual impulsive manner. Can't we have them here to Thanksgiving, Mamma? There's not a single pretty thing in that house except Tom herself and the rosebush. And everything did look so bare and clean and poverty-stricken. And I know they'll never afford a good dinner in the world. Oh, say yes, Mamma dear. I know you'll say yes. Because you're such a dear, and you love to make everyone happy. Yes, but first of all, I must love to make Papa happy, must I not? You know he never wants any company on Thanksgiving but Grandpa and Grandma and Uncle John. I'm sure you would not like to spoil Papa's old-fashioned Thanksgiving day. Kitty's countenance fell. She saw the justice of her mother's remark, and there was no more to be said. She sat, thinking over her disappointment in a silence which her mother was the one to break. I've thought of a better thing, puss, said this wise mamma, who was herself every bit as tender of heart as Kitty, and cared just as much about making people happy. No doubt Mrs. Graham and Tom would just as much prefer being alone together as Papa prefers to be alone with his family. And How will it suit you if I have a nice dinner prepared for them and let you go and take it to them in the coop? Mrs. Graham is hardly the woman one could take such a liberty with, but I'll beg her to let you have the pleasure of sending dinner to Tom. Oh, you darling! And Mrs. Greenow's neck ruffle suffered and her hair was in danger, as was apt to be the case when Kitty was overcome with emotion, which could only find vent in a rapturous squeeze. Before bedtime, Kitty had it all planned out. She was to go in the coop and take Bridget and the basket. Bridget was to mount guard by the horse's head, while Luke went upstairs with Kitty and brought down Tom for a drive. And while they were gone, Bridget would take the basket in and see that everything was right, and then go home. Mrs. Greenow consented to it all. I think she enjoyed the prospect of Tom's ride herself, just as much as Kitty did. While Mrs. Graham was sewing there, she made the arrangement with her, approaching the subject so delicately that the most sensitive of women could not be hurt, and putting the acceptance of both drive and dinner in the light of a personal favor to Kitty, who had taken such a fancy to Tom. The last afternoon of Mrs. Graham's stay Kitty called her mother into the room. Mrs. Greenow saw spread out upon the bed a thick, warm, soft jacket, a woolen dress, and last year's hat. You know them by sight, don't you, Mother Mine? They are the last winter's clothes that I grew away from and have taken leave of. May Tom have them? Yes, indeed, if you'll undertake to give them to Tom's mother. Kitty had seldom undertaken a more embarrassing task. She stole into the sewing room with the things in her arms. You'll be sure, won't you, Mrs. Graham, not to let Tom know she's going to ride until I get there? Because I want to see how surprised she'll look. Yes, I'll be sure, never fear. And, Mrs. Graham, here are my coat and hat and dress that I wore last year, and I've grown away from them. Would you mind letting Tom wear them? Would I mind? A swift, hot rush of tears filled Mrs. Graham's eyes, which. Presently she wiped away, and somehow then the eyes looked gladder than Kitty had ever seen them before. Do you think I am so weakly, wickedly proud as to be hurt because you take an interest in my poor girl, and want to put a little happiness into her life? That still sad life which she bears so patiently? God bless you, Miss Kitty, and if he doesn't, it won't be because I shall get tired of asking him. And you'll not let her see the hat and jacket till I come, for fear she'll think something. At last, Mrs. Graham smiled, an actual smile. How you do think of everything. No, I'll keep the hat and jacket out of sight, and I'll have the dress on her all ready. When Thanksgiving came, Kitty scarcely remembered to put on the new fineries that Mrs. Graham had finished with such loving care, scarcely gave thought to the family festivities at home, so Eager was she about Tom's Thanksgiving. She was to go to Hudson Street just at noon, so that Tom might have the benefit of the utmost warmth of which the chill November day was capable. First, she saw the dinner packed. There was a turkey, and cranberry sauce, and mince pie, and plum pudding, And a great cake full of plums, too, and fruit and nuts. And then Mr. Greenow, who had heard about the dinner with real interest, brought out a bottle of particularly nice sherry and said to his wife, Put that in also. It will do those frozen up souls good once in a year. At last, impatient Kitty was off. Bridget and the basket filled all the spare space in the coop. And when they reached Hudson Street, Luke took the dinner and followed Kitty upstairs, while Bridget stood by the horse's head, according to the program. He set the basket down in the hall, where no one would be likely to notice it in opening the door and then he stood out of sight himself while Kitty went in. There was Tom in the warm crimson dress, a proud, happy-looking Tom, as proud as you could find in Boston that Thanksgiving day. I have come to take you for a ride, cried Kitty. Will you go? It was worth ten ordinary thanksgivings to see the look on Tom's face. The joy and wonder, and then the doubt as the breathless question came. How will I get downstairs? And then Luke was called in, and that mystery was solved. And then out of the closet came the warm jacket and the hat, with its gay feather. And there were tears in Tom's eyes, and a smile round her lips. And she tried to say something, and broke down utterly. And then, big strong Luke took her up and marched downstairs with her, while she heard Kitty say, but it seemed to her like a dream and Kitty's voice like a voice in a dream. I'm sorry there's nothing pretty to see at this time of year. It was so lovely outdoors six weeks ago. Through Beach Street they went, and then through Boylston, and the common was beside them, with its tree boughs traced against the November sky. And the sun shone on the frog pond, and the dome of the state house glittered goldenly. And there were merry people walking about everywhere, with their thanksgiving faces on. And at last, Tom breathed a long, deep breath, which was almost a sob, and cried, Did you think there was nothing pretty to see today? This day? Why, I didn't know there was such a world. The clocks had struck twelve when they left Hudson Street. The bells were ringing for one when they entered it again. Bridget was gone, but a good-natured boy stood by the horse's head and Kitty ran lightly upstairs, followed by Luke, with Tom in his arms. Kitty threw open the door, and there was a table spread with as good a Thanksgiving dinner as the heart could desire. With Tom's chair drawn up beside it, Luke set his light burden down, Kitty waited to hear neither thanks nor exclamations. She saw Tom's brown eyes as they rested on the table, and that was enough. She bent for one moment over the bright face. The cheeks which the outdoor air had painted red as the rose that had just opened in honor of the day, and left on the young, sweet, wistful lips, a kiss, and then went silently down the stairs, leaving Tom and Tom's mother to their thanksgiving. Good night.